Lord God, uh, indeed we meet together this morning to celebrate and reflect on the pivotal event in all of history, uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And as we reflect on this together this morning, we pray that this profound event would in some way sink deeper into our hearts and uh, elicit an even more deeper response of joy and gratitude to you for all you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Charlotte Grey is a movie uh, released in 2001 uh, set in uh, Britain in the Second World War. Uh, it stars Kate Blanchett, who plays an English young lady who puts herself forward to become a secret agent in France. Uh, she has an ulterior motive because her sweetheart was in the RAF and he was shot down and is now somewhere uh, in France. As part of the selection process to become an agent, uh, she has an interview where she has to take part in a word association game. Uh, the interviewer uh, fires off words at her, and she has to reply with the first word that comes into her head on hearing each of these words. So, British. Bulldog, surely. Uh, black. Pudding. No, not white. Come on. Good British breakfast, you know. Anyway, I can see you're getting the hang of it. Uh, so... Uh, let's continue with this whole idea of word association this morning. Uh, here is the first, this is the word I'm going to give you, and think what is the first word that comes into your mind when I say it? Resurrection. Jesus? Good. Any others? What? Life? Hope? Joy? Excellent. Wonderful. Well, your responses are good, but also there's another response which nobody here has yet mentioned, and it's probably a bit of an unusual one, not one you'd normally associate with the word resurrection, and that is this, judgment. Judgment. Uh, we tend to associate uh, the word resurrection with the things you mentioned, Jesus, life, joy, empty tomb, and those are, of course, a right associations, but they don't tell the whole story. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching an evangelistic sermon, and he's in the first century Athens, and the word he associates with Jesus' resurrection is judgment. Uh, did you see it in uh, verse 31 of our passage read to us in Acts 17? It says this, these are the Apostle Paul's words, uh, for he, that is God the Father, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now then, I don't want to be a party pooper on this joyful Easter morning, but as we see here, Scripture clearly associates Jesus' resurrection with the coming judgment. And hence, today, it would seem appropriate to explore this connection. I've summarized what we're going to learn in these, three, in these verses under these three headings, and you'll see them in your outline. Uh, firstly, God has set a day of judgment for all people. Uh, secondly, God has given proof of this by raising Jesus from the dead. And thirdly, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Okay, that's where we're going. There's our roadmap. So firstly then, God has set a day of judgment for all people. Uh, let's take a closer look at four aspects of this. Firstly, uh, the day is in the diary, verse 31. It says this, 
For he has set a day when he will judge the world. You see, this is not something that God is considering as an option that he hasn't yet made his mind upon. On a particular day in God's diary, it says, Judgment Day. And it's written in ink, not in pencil. The day has been set and is closer today than it was yesterday. It is a day that's going to happen. And the day is in God's diary. Uh, Secondly, not only has the day been set, but also uh, the judge has been appointed. Verse 31 again says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. So, you see, preparations are well underway for that day. God has already booked up the judge who will preside, and that judge is Jesus. So, the day's in the diary. The judge has been appointed. Thirdly, the judgment will be just. Verse 31 says, He will judge the world with justice. The day of judgment will be fair. All the evidence will be available. We will be judged according to what we have done. And that's good news because there will be therefore no miscarriage of justice. But that's bad news because even the best of us have failed in many ways to live up to God's standards. The judgment will be fair. And notice, fourthly and lastly, uh, it is the world who is in the dock. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world. So you see, the judgment will be for everybody, uh, the whole world. It's not just the Mugabes and the monsters of history, but also the ordinary yous and the ordinary me's. All of us here today will be there on that day. The whole world, therefore, is on the same moving walkway which emerges in the courtroom of God. God has set a day of judgment for all people. It's a sobering reality for us to reflect on this Easter morning. But surely, you say, Easter is a day of celebration. Isn't it all about new life and joy and hope? Isn't all this talk of judgment a bit out of place? Far from it, because the next thing we're going to see is this. God has given proof of this by raising Jesus from the dead. Just look again at how verse 31 ends. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. You see, Jesus' resurrection is in some way proof that the judgment day will happen. That to those who poo-poo the idea of there being a future day of judgment, uh, Paul says the proof is there for everybody to see. This morning we proclaim the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But by so doing, we also proclaim that judgment day is coming. In some way, 
the resurrection proves that. Now, you may well ask, uh, how on earth does Jesus' resurrection from the dead prove that judgment day is around the corner? Uh, it's not a connection which strikes us as immediately obvious, and hence it's worth slowing down for a moment to consider this. And there seems to be two ways in which Jesus' resurrection is proof of the judgment day to come. Firstly, uh, Jesus' resurrection proves that His claims about the judgment day are true. You see, Jesus didn't mince His words when it came to speaking about the judgment. Uh, Jesus didn't beat around the bush. Uh, Jesus claims there was indeed a judgment day ahead. Uh, look, for example, at Matthew 12, verse 36. Jesus says this, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on that day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Not only did Jesus claim there was a judgment day ahead, but incredibly, He also contended that He Himself would be the judge. John 5, verse 22. Jesus says, moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, to Jesus. Uh, these are huge claims to make, but at the end of the day, surely they're just words. Uh, anybody can make such great claims. Uh, indeed, I could claim such things. The big question is, how do we know that these claims are true? And the answer, therefore, is found in the resurrection. You see, when a person is raised from the dead, it adds credibility to their claims. Uh, then we have to sit up and listen to what this person says. Uh, we don't have the, the option of dismissing them then as a crackpot. So that's one way in which Jesus' resurrection proves that the judgment day is coming. His claims about the coming judgments are underwritten by His resurrection from the dead. Uh, the other link between Jesus' resurrection and the judgment is that Jesus' resurrection proves that all will be raised, that all will be raised. You see, the Bible teaches this. The Bible says that the end of this phase of history, there will be what's called a general resurrection. That is a resurrection of all people who have ever lived. All people from all times and all places will be physically raised from the dead. But why will they be raised? The Bible says they will be raised in order to be summoned to God's courtroom. Look, for example, at John chapter 5, verse 28. This is what Jesus says. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice. And come out, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. See, there's a future day when all who have died will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and He will call them back to life to stand in judgment. You see, if people are not raised from the dead, then they can't be judged but because they all will be raised from the dead, they will stand in judgment before Jesus.
Uh, many people of day, today, of course, think that uh, death is the end. Uh, many people think that when we die, uh, that is the end of the story. We simply rot. Uh, it's possible, of course, to have what's called a humanist funeral. Uh, this is a funeral for those who don't want any religious elements in the service. Any talk of, uh, you see, of life beyond the grave is viewed just as scare tactics and escapism. However, the resurrection of Jesus throws a spanner in the works of every humanist funeral. Jesus' resurrection torpedoes the humanist worldview because a man has been raised from the dead and all of a sudden talk about us being raised is not so easy to dismiss. You see, a precedent has been set. Uh, the supposedly impossible has happened. And if it's happened once, what was a firmly closed door is now suddenly starting to stand open. Uh, you may not realize this, but in the early days of the development of the motor car, people actually scoffed at the idea of traveling at any significant speed. Apparently, it was thought that if you traveled at more than 50 mile, 15 miles per hour, uh, you would die. But of course, cars were developed, uh, and somebody dared to test it out, and lo and behold, they survived the ordeal. New horizons were opened up by that person, and what one man did, or maybe it was a woman, that proved that it was possible. And so it was, you see, with Jesus' resurrection. It opens up new horizons. That talk of us being raised from the dead is now more than just talk. There is a precedent in history. Uh, Jesus has blazed a trail for us. And Jesus' resurrection proves that one day... All will be raised from the dead for judgment. Death is not the end. So there we have it. I think in these two ways in particular, Jesus' resurrection proves that there will be a judgment day. And the two go hand in hand. And so as we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus this Easter, we are at the same time proclaiming that judgment day is coming. So thirdly and finally, uh, in the light of this, uh, what response is wise? Uh, we see the, this at the end of verse 30. It says this, Now he, that is God, commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world. You see, in the light of that coming day, this is the only wise response. Let's notice three things in particular. Firstly, we must repent and repent of idolatry. Judgment is coming. What does God call on us to do? He commands all people everywhere to repent. Of course, repent means doing this handbrake turn in life. Uh, turning from what we know to be wrong to turning to the right way. But what are we called to repent of? Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, ha had just been on the open-top bus tour round Athens. 
and he wasn't very pleased with what he'd seen. The Apostle Paul was outraged by all the statues and shrines to these other gods. It was a pagan city. How absurd to think that the Creator God could live in these temples and could be represented by such lifeless statues. And hence, Paul says, God calls on people to repent, to give up such wrong ideas about Him and to turn to the truth. When the Apostle Paul calls people to repent from idolatry, uh, he's talking about far more than just stopping the worship of statues. Uh, Idolatry, of course, is alive and well in our lives and in our day. An idol, of course, is simply a God substitute. Uh, We fashion an idol when we substitute the truth about God of the Bible for our own ideas about Him. Uh, We fashion an idol when we bow down to anything in our lives which we give supreme worth to and which we take our identity from. Uh, We're told in Ephesians 5 that uh, greed is idolatry. Uh, Greed can be, of course, material greed, but it also can be expressed in many different ways. Uh, Idolatry is therefore the worship of false gods, and it can take many different forms, and we're all called to repent, to turn from them. Uh, These Athenians needed to repent for the first time, but for us as believers, of course, repentance is an ongoing necessity as we continually examine our lives and turn from what we know to be wrong under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing we see. A wise response is for people to repent of idolatry. Uh, The second thing we see is that we must all repent. Verse 30. Now He, that is God, commands all people everywhere to repent. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a declaration to the whole world that Judgment Day is coming, and that judgment, therefore, is coming for all. And therefore, it follows that all people everywhere need to repent and turn to the living God. So, you see, it's simply not true that God will accept the sincere Muslim or the sincere Hindu, who are born into that culture and worship that God as best they can. They themselves are called to repentance, for it is all people everywhere who are called to repent. And of course, it's that conviction which has motivated Christians across the centuries to leave the comforts of their home culture and to go out into the world to go to countries which are dark and absent of any gospel light, to go often facing certain death, to go to take the good news of Jesus out to all people of all countries. And that's why it is so important for us as a church to continue to support our missionary partners, taking the gospel out to all peoples of the world. The third thing we notice is this, Uh, we are commanded to repent. Uh, It says in verse 30, God commands all people everywhere to repent. 
Uh, so you see, it's not just an invitation or a suggestion. It is God's command. Judgment is coming, and therefore we must repent. So, in conclusion, uh, as we pull this together, where does this leave us uh, this morning? Uh, notice that there are three reactions to what Paul said that day in Athens, uh, verse 32. He says this, uh, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. So you see, we can see there were three reactions on that day. Uh, some people mocked. Uh, it says some of them sneered. And if that was the reaction then, uh, we should expect that it will be the reaction of some in our day as well. As we celebrate Easter and all that it means, some people will sneer. They will make fun of us. They'll say, you poor deluded Christians, still clinging to your desperate ideas and your desperate hopes. But the resurrection of Jesus proves that their sneers are not grounded in reality. It's not us who are escapists. Actually, we have a sure and certain basis for our confidence. Uh, the second reaction we see is that some wanted to hear more. Uh, some said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And so, therefore, let us pray that that would be the case this Easter. And let us pray on our knees that there will be some who will hear this Easter about the resurrection of Jesus and the judgment day, and that they will want to hear more. And the third reaction is, and some, a few were told, believed. Uh, not everyone, uh, not even the majority, but a few believed. You see, truth is not decided by a head count. Uh, truth is not decided by a straw poll. Uh, we should not be unsettled that we are small in number in a suburb of so many thousands and a city of so many millions. Uh, let's pray that some would believe the message for the first time, even this Easter, and become followers of Jesus. You see, this resurrection morning is a time of great joy for us who do believe. Uh, for us, we know, uh, there will be no condemnation at the judgment. But the question is this, and this is the last thing we'll tease out. How can that be? How can it be that for us who trust in Christ, we need not fear that judgment day? Because you see, when we look back to that passage in John chapter 5, it doesn't seem to hold out much hope. It said this, uh, maybe uh, you reflected and were puzzled by this as it said it, John 5, 29. Uh, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. You see, which of us can say that we have never done anything evil? 
not just in actions, but in thoughts and in speech. You see, if we're honest, all of us have in some way done evil. And therefore, all of us fall into this category of those who will rise to be condemned. But of course, the resolution comes at the cross. And the resolution comes in what is known as the substitutionary atonement. Substitution talks of the great exchange, the amazing swap. And that is what happens on the cross. Because, of course, there is one who did good, who lived a life of perfect goodness, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he never did any evil. He lived a life totally unblemished by even an evil thought. And to those who put their trust in him now, this amazing swap happens. And it's not just that all our evil gets put on him, but all of his goodness gets put on us. You see, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on that final day of judgment, we stand there clothed in his righteousness through faith. The good are rise to live, and through trusting in him, we are declared good because the goodness of his life is attributed to our account. So... Christ's empty tomb points to the judgment day approaching. Uh, For us today, it is a day of great joy. No condemnation now we dread. And yet we dare not forget those who are still unprepared for that final day. And therefore, let's pray that God might use us to pass on His command, uh, to repent and to turn to the living God so that our Easter joy might be theirs as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this wonderful Easter day, uh, but it also has a sobering element to it and a sobering aspect of the message of Easter. The resurrection of Jesus points us to the resurrection of all and that day when we stand before Jesus as our judge. We pray that we would be ready for that day by partaking in this amazing and the greatest of exchanges uh, our evil in our lives for the goodness of Christ in his earthly life. Uh, Please, we pray, may that joy burn deeper in our hearts as we know the peace that comes through trusting in him. And may this joy be also shared by many others for the first time this Easter, we ask. And we ask this to your glory. Amen.